Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host, Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Of the time. I, of course, am your host, Sam Wiles. Thank you all for tuning in. I hope you're all well, safe, and sound. Of course, with the Driving Rain episode coming out next week, of course, that means I have to take further precautions to make sure that I get it all done. It's a massive project, yada, yada, yada. So that means, of course, we will be doing one of our somewhat filler episodes, which, as you know, means it's time for another episode of Listen with Sam. I'm sure you've read the title already. But yeah, this is where we kick back and we have a nice relaxing episode where you and me simply just listen to some Paul McCartney music together and when I say listen I mean it plays in the background whilst I talk over it this is a way for me to not only plug a needed gap in the schedule but also to revisit albums that we've already covered here on the show before and see whether my opinions have changed grown evolved or straight up just stayed the same Last time we covered Paul's first foray into solo recording and the 80s with McCartney 2. And now we move on to what is widely known as the first proper official solo Paul McCartney album recorded after the breakup of Wings, Tug of War. Now, Tug of War has always been an album that we've spoken about a lot on this podcast. It's one of the big ones. It contains many people's favourite solo McCartney tracks. It includes many of mine as well, and the sessions themselves are incredibly fascinating in their own right, especially since they bleed over into Pipes of Peace. It's all very exciting Macca content. However, it is also one of those albums that I think is also slightly overrated, and you know I've always had a softer spot for Pipes of Peace, though today will be a good chance for me to reflect upon that and see whether I've just been needlessly defensive of Pipes of Peace because I'm a sucker for an underdog story. I mean, look, folks, going into this, I know that Tug of War is great, and I do acknowledge it as one of the best. You know, whenever I list what the best McCartney albums are, I'll throw Tug of War on there because, objectively, it's just very strong. However, I do always have this nagging voice in the back of my head saying, oh, you know... It might be a little little bit rated higher than it should be, especially compared to something like McCartney 2, which I consider to be far greater than this album. So, yeah, let's go into this album with as much of an open mind as possible and see where we come out on the other side. But before we can do any of that, folks, it is time for us to crack on with the matter of the housekeeping. Right, what do we have in terms of news for today? Oh, absolutely nothing. The only things I've seen online recently are pictures of Paul looking dapper in a suit, but that is hardly newsworthy. So we'll move right on to the correspondence. Yes, we do have a quick email here today, and if you want to get in contact with the show, if you want to say hi or talk Paul, any Paul at all, even Beatles, drop us an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. I always like getting a conversation going. I want to hear your thoughts on all of Paul's latest activities, and... That's what I have today here from Linda Crick, who writes, Sam, I've enjoyed listening to your episodes about the Got Back Tour and your recent podcast on the Glastonbury Festival. I was able to go to the Cycross show, and it was fantastic. A few thoughts on what other folk have been saying. Number one, the set list. Can you imagine how much work there would be to put together another set list with all the visuals, lasers, sound balance, practice by the band, etc.? I can completely understand why he keeps them the way it has been. I'm always glad to hear any song Paul wants to sing and look forward to the quote-unquote usual. In fact, when he tried to do something a little bit different by singing the college song, I thought it sounded a little flat and a little shaky like it might have needed some more practice. I'd rather hear the band at their best. Number two, as many as your guests have said, particularly Kit O'Toole, most of the crowd has not seen Paul in concert before. I think he's pretty generous to us nerds by giving us the deeper cuts that he gives us compared to what a lot of the concert goers want to hear. 
That was brought home when you said at the Glastonbury show, some folks walked out after the first few songs. Number three, the only surprise I had with the set list is that there wasn't more McCartney 3, such as Sliding, or even from Get Back, Two of Us for instance. Sometimes people suggest songs that have a very difficult range. Some of them pro were probably hard to sing when he recorded them and wouldn't sound good today. Number four, his voice. I think he sounded great, better than the Freshen Up tour. No one is mentioning the fact that he, most of the time, left three or four days between gigs, when in previous tours there were sometimes back to back or only a day in between. That I feel is what made his voice better. Also, he hasn't mentioned it, but I wonder whether he did any vocal coaching to help with his 80 year old voice. Now I read that Mick Jagger does. Number five, I've been surprised in hearing the podcast voices that I always listen to settle for the nosebleed seats. Kit said there was more of a party atmosphere in Orlando. I think that was because she was on the floor. There's always a lot of fun on the floor. If you can see him from a distance, it's like you're watching someone else having a party and you aren't invited. I have seen Paul 15 times and only twice was I not on the floor. I am fortunate enough to be able to afford good seats, but after I sat in the back, I would never go back to the bad seats. And finally, number six, I find it exciting to hear the podcast voices talk about how they got into the Beatles and Paul. However, it makes me feel old. I was fortunate enough to see the Beatles twice at Shea Stadium in 65 and 66. That experience was all about being there and the months of anticipation. They only played 35 minutes. Compare that to our 80 year old Paul giving us almost three hours. I'm forever grateful that I've been alive when Paul has been alive. His music has been the soundtrack to my life. Sorry if this is so long, but all this kept swirling in my head as I've been listening to these in the past few weeks. Keep up the great work on your podcast, Linda. Well, thank you there, la 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 la, lovely Linda. Thank you so much for that email there. That was a great read. I'm really glad you've been enjoying those Got Back episodes. It was something that I really wanted to do right, and I'm glad that it went from one two or three part episode into five distinct episodes released over five days. It meant that I got to cover everything. Yeah, maybe some of them were a bit repetitive in spots, but each guest certainly brought their own unique spin to their experience and the tour. And I feel like we got the best 3D perspective possible, especially since everyone went to different shows. But yeah, really glad you enjoyed that. Though, in terms of seating, I'm always reluctant to go on the floor. I don't like standing for three hours, especially if it's a Paul show. I'd rather have the chance to be able to sit down and chill out if I need to. I also like ready access to toilets, that kind of thing. I don't have to, you know, worm my way back into the middle of a crowd or anything. That's one of the main reasons why I've never been that big on festivals either. But I'm glad it's something you enjoy. You know, some of us have to be out on that floor and. Yeah, you do get to be very close to Paul, and I remember when I saw him in 2018, I was going to be in those lead seats, and I was very uncomfortable in those seats, so when I got to go to some lower seats closer to the stage, you can only imagine how lucky I felt, but it's so cool that you're still going, I mean, you've seen Paul 15 times, that's absolutely insane, I've only seen him one fifteenth of that amount of time, you saw the Beatles as well, that's what would you say about that? That's, that's, that's just incredible, isn't it? 35 minutes of Beatle content as well. <laughs> wow. I mean, imagine what they'd have to do to fill up in a, like an, an hour and a half set. We'd, we'd probably get a load more cavern deep cuts, you know, like Best Sammy Mucho and the Sheik of Araby, that kind of thing. But yeah, that's something I'd like to see. Um, also, I've got to agree with you about the college song. Not only did it start in that weird place and was done kind of in a weird signature, but it didn't sound as polished as the rest of the tour, did it? I totally get what you mean there. But I reckon if they'd have done it properly, maybe it would have sounded better. I'm not so sure. Anyway, Linda, thank you so much for that email there. That was really appreciated. I love a nice detailed one like that. And folks, if you have anything to say about Paul McCartney, the Got Back Tour, the recent Beatles Get Back DVD release, anything at all, drop us an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. For instant access and daily updates and all sorts of silly Macca and Beatle posting, check out our Twitter page, which is at McCartneyPod. 
for more bonus Paul Lovathing written content, check out the blog at paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by typing in Paul Lovathing or Paul McCartney Podcast. Of course, YouTube is the only place where you can check out new episodes of Macca in your attic. By the time you hear this, there will be a new one out. Me and Skylar Moody will be talking about all of her Beatle items, as well as the Beatles and TikTok. Yes, folks, I've got someone younger and more hip and into the youth of today to talk to me about the future of the fandom, as well as McCartney memorabilia. It's a great episode. Go and check it out on our YouTube page. Type in Paul and I think all Paul McCartney podcast. Of course, if you want to help out the show right now in a way that takes less than 30 seconds, please, if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening to this on, a like, a thumbs up, a tick, some stars, a nice comment, or even if you just share it amongst your friends, share it on a Facebook page or a Beatle group, anything you can do like that massively boosts the show in terms of its reach. It allows us to get new listeners and expand the conversation and just foster this lovely little Paul McCartney family we have here. Speaking of family though, if you want to help directly, if you want to see the show grow, allow me to get new product to review, new equipment, maybe even take some time off work, or maybe you just want to help keep the lights running slash send me a few dollars down the internet every month because you just like this bloody show so much, then maybe consider joining our Patreon page. Yes, Patreon is the place by which you can support independent content creators such as moi but it is not just a gimme you do get your money's worth you get two days early access to all episodes of poor or nothing you get instant access to all episodes of maca in your attic always at least a week before they come out you get access to the poor or nothing video feed so not only will you get to see most episodes that I record on Zoom visually, but they will be unedited and uploaded immediately. So some episodes might be up on the Patreon with visuals a week or two before they come out, sometimes even months. So yeah, go and check that out if that's your thing. On top of that, you get access to lost bonus and <laughs> hidden episodes of Macca in Your Attic that will never be released to the public, all of the scripts that I use for each show, as well as the exclusive Patreon vlog side series. Yes, for anyone who is a Patreon member at any level, you get an extra episode of Paul and I think every week-ish where I do just a little bonus topic that we might not be covering here on the show. The latest one went up just the other day where I talk about all of the songs from 1990 to the present day that Paul has or has not done live and what I'd like to see in the set list. Next week, I think we're going to be doing a speculative what if a Flaming Pie tour existed and we go through what that set list might be. Looking forward to showing you that one as well. But yeah, you get loads of stuff. I'm just asking for a couple of quid or a couple of dollars every month, a cup of coffee, that kind of thing. But yeah, it's only if you want to, folks. I know stuff is very tough right now. So if you have any spare change, I'd really appreciate it, but it is not necessary. Also, I just want to take a quick moment to thank my existing Patreon family, the people who allow this podcast to function and be as good as it is. I'm eternally grateful for the following people. John Carp, Brian Brigman, Annie McNeil, Balls76, Jeff H, David Staberski, Mitzi Carter, Andy Cochran, Guy Jenkinson, Nancy Twoey, Richard Campbell, Christopher Newman, Mrs. P, Roderick Harper, Moti Ryder, Robert Shuley, Richard Driver, Chris Atkinson, Richard Biddington, Mr. B, Teresa Brader, Stephanie Miller, Katrina S, Sam Hode, Lou DiLonardo, Robert A. Carabelli, Warren Butson, Cheryl McCoy, Matt Phillips, and of course, Mr. Percy Thrillington himself. Right, now that all of that housekeeping is out of the way, it is time to put ourselves in the mindset of the early 1980s, 1982 to be precise. It's been a little while since we heard McCartney 2, even longer since Wings officially broke up. Things are very uncertain for the McCartney camp. We've had the untimely tra- tragic assassination of John Lennon. You know, what is Paul McCartney going to put out on this solo album? Everyone is on tender hooks. He's still a hot property. So let's just put on our earphones, take out Tug of War from its sleeve. Place side A on the turntable, put on the stylus, and let's dive right in. 
Okay, folks, let's kick it off. And we're going to start off with the title track, of course, which is Tug of War. And already this intro is delightfully low-key, isn't it? Just like these, these diegetic sounds, this background audio, people just shuffling about. It's got a very uh, Sgt. Pepper like quality to it, where it, it sounds like everyone's gearing up and getting ready. Oh, and we go right into the vocals there. Not with a big bombast or anything, it's just Paul on his guitar. It feels classically McCartney already. Oh, his voice is so gorgeous here, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so we're being introduced to the theme of this album, which is Tug of War. It's all about pushing and pulling. It's definitely conflict going on here. This is not a peaceful album like the next one. When already the McCartney production is coming into this song with full force here. The background uh, orchestrations there are subtle. They're building up tension. I love these harmonies as well. We've got Eric Stewart and Linda here boosting it up here with, you know, not, not wings level harmonies, but it's something slightly new, something slightly different. And then we don't go straight to the tension breaker there. We go right back to the start here. We're going to build it up again once more. George, uh, George, George Martin's score across this whole album is just top notch from top to bottom. And it is what makes it the first classically McCartney album. It's not like McCartney 1 or 2 where he's doing it on his own. This is basically just Beatle Paul with Beatle George Martin combined. Like, how is this not going to make people fall in love immediately? <laughs> I've always found these backing vocals here to be a little bit goofy, but in a kind of a good way. Oh, and then we kick in here with that electric guitar. With like that he, Denny and uh, Eric are playing. It's so badass. Like, this kind of soft, gooey song out of nowhere does get a bit of teeth and a bit of edge to it. Like, how cool is that? It's just so regal. It's got a bit of that rural Britannia feel that he that he and George do all the time. The whole thing's just so massive and epic here. It's letting us know that you know classic Paul is back. This is again, it's not McCartney too. This isn't him messing around with stuff that maybe wasn't even meant to be an album. This is very intentional. This is Paul letting us know what is to come. This is going to be big, it's going to be well-produced and slick. I love that little bit of syncopation there, that dancing to the beat. It's just a nice interpolation with the drums there. And then we go into these very Get Back-esque uh, American marching drums. Almost reminds me of Denny uh, at the um, 4th of July show with Wings in 76 as well. Then we go back to this segment as well. He likes to end it on a little ball of a, like a cloying uh, heartstrings pulling kind of moment. I would prefer to it to, to keep going a little more epic, but you know, it's nice to, to see Paul being a little bit subtle with this here, not just going for the standard big McCartney finish. This is the opening song again. This is meant to just be gently ushering us into this world of tug of war. Yeah, you know, it's McCartney talking about a supposed war, but still, it's not that full of conflict, is it, really? It's still touching and tender. You know, if Paul McCartney was to score a war movie, it would still be somewhat upbeat like this. You can tell why people were loving this, though. It's already so Beatle-esque right from the get-go. Those, those orchestrations could have come right from the White Album or Abbey Road, you know what I mean? But... With that, we are now into the next song. We are into Take It Away, a song that I was never really too positive towards the first time I reviewed it. I mean, it's not a bad song by any point. I think it, it was just a little bit repetitive and maybe a little bit too long for me. As are most of the songs on this album. This is an album of long songs. Uh, we're we're going to have a six-minute one soon. Although, uh, I, I was shocked to, to find out on... 
uh, an episode we did a few weeks ago with Lucas Hammer on the McCartney and Ringo collaborations that this song was originally meant to be for Ringo not just have Ringo playing on it but for Ringo to sing it which is so interesting and it does kind of make sense when you think about it though when you hear the way Paul sings it you just know that Ringo was never going to be able to do this kind of variety I don't know if like this mid-length bit or the pre-chorus bit was in the Ringo version because he, he just wouldn't be able to, to, to like do it um, yeah I, I get why everyone loves this song it's so shamelessly upbeat oh, those bongos in the background are great as well and Linda and Eric's backing vocals are, are, are really exciting as well. They really give it that little extra thrust. Ooh. Yeah. It is hard not to get swept up in a song like this. But I am trying to keep my cynical, boring, douchebag critic hat on. And as fun as this is, it's, to me, it's almost like the best or the greatest of the kind of surface-level McCartney songs. Um, I've never really, 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 I think it's this part that I'm not that big a fan of. Like, I feel like the songs tried to keep up that energy and momentum, but the vocals aren't matching it, and I feel like it should have a little more energy or speed to it. But, you know, this is McCartney. He likes to have his songs have lots of different segments and do different things, so I get why it's not all just one runaway kind of track. Um, also, you can't talk about this song without mentioning the music video with John Hurt. It really is a spectacle, and it's like the only time Paul's ever performed the song quote-unquote live, like in front of an audience. Um, I, I do like the back of vocals here, actually. <laughs> Baby listening to you. Obviously, I'm not singing it nearly as well. And this is the standout Paul bit of the song. Bam, 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 I mean, again, couldn't we have just gone straight into the chorus again there? Oh, why not? This song is definitely a minute too long. I mean, if this was a Beatles song, it'd be like two minutes thirty. It would just be you know, maybe two verses and two choruses, you know. But this is the 80s. Everything's bigger, bolder, more ambitious. And you definitely see that. Um, now we come to the the closing just R's section uh, I don't think we need this segment either sorry to be so down on this one folks I, 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 it's a good song I do like it I just I don't love it and like this this stuff now just screams I've got George Martin so let's have him just do all this vamping here because why not it, may, it makes sense but is it the tightest, most tightly written song? I I wouldn't say so. It's good, it's good, but I'm not... It's never going to be in my top 20. I know that TJ Shanoff from uh, the Untitled Beatles podcast, this is his favourite Paul McCartney song ever. There are better songs on this album alone, TJ, I must say. Let's go into song number three now. Oh, like this for me is when the album really starts getting good and it's not just about big brash pomp and Paul letting us know that he's still here you know Paul isn't dead again and just having Paul on his guitar and a, just a little bit of drum maybe even a drum machine in the background this is this is way more, more up my alley this is the melody here is fucking incredible I almost don't want to talk over this one. Oh, Paul singing, I know how you feel. That's just a, a haunting. That's great. Making the wheels of you go. This one that I just want to sing a haunt. <laughs> oh, the strength here is just in such a, a unique sound and style for Paul. He's never really done this before or since. It's got a little bit of flamenco in it, a little bit of like a Mediterranean flair to it. Then we go into a different melody here. Great backing vocals coming up. Oh, 
Linda's so good on this album. No one really mentions how good Linda's backing vocals are on this because it's got Eric there, but you know, Wings had had Denny in all of the, the Linda harmonies as well, and she's just as on top of her game here as she was on like Back to the Egg and London Town. Oh, now we go to like the pipes, which is our gorgeous edition. Reminds me a lot of um, El Condor Passa by uh, Simon Garfunkel. And then, and then we go into a, a, a guitar solo. That's beautiful. You know, in, in a lot of M -M McCartney acoustic pickers, you don't really get a guitar solo because like the, the, the main melody is just kind of so normally complex and overwrought, but here we, we actually have time for a little one. It's really appreciated. And his voice in that kind of hushed, almost whisper is just so atmospheric. I mean, the whole song is atmospheric. It's so unique. <laughs> like, this is nothing like One of These Days or Summer's Day song from the last album. This is classic poor acoustic stuff. And he's never done it live. Oh my God, people would absolutely scream their heads off if this song was played live. Of course, they would if they knew it. <laughs> the 10% of diehard Macca fans in the crowd would be losing their heads. You know what I mean? Oh, it's just so beautiful. It's almost like Paul's writing this song to himself in the wake of Lennon's death, you know, like, he's just, like, imagining that the best thing for him right now is someone to know how he feels right now, and to have someone who cares, you know. Oh god, and here we go, we're gonna start the next six minutes of funk <laughs> riffing and jamming now with What's That You're Doing. So, if Ebony and Ivory was the carefully calculated and purposefully written meaningful song that Paul and Stevie Wonder were going to do together, well, this is the polar opposite. This is just two artists, two brilliant musicians jamming it out and having some fun. This is not something very serious at all. This is just meant to be enjoyed, you know. <laughs> it's just a riff that they really get every drop of blood out of, they do every version of. And it's doing something that is actually quite wise when you think about it. It's something that Paul couldn't do with Michael Jackson, who wasn't a musician, you know, he was just a singer. And so here, Paul and Stevie are just allowed to, to, to riff it out, just to, you know, see what happens with the music. And you know what? Whilst it might be one of the more indulgent tracks on the album, and it could be seen as filler by some, it's some of the very best filler that Paul has ever done. Oh, it is just so funky here. Again, we don't go straight into the chorus here. We get another round, classic AA formula. This is so satisfying. This is so 80s as well when you think about it, is that, you know, it's probably the first example of Paul doing something that actually sounds like it's of the era. Um, you know, most of his music is quite timeless. This does feel, I'm not saying it's bad, I'm just saying it's very obviously produced in the 80s. Probably a side effect of working with Stevie as well. You know, it's less of a Paul vision. And, and then it goes a bit slower here. So who who played what on this? So McCartney's backing vocals, bass, drums, electric guitar, vocals. Steve wanted to synthesizer and vocals. I could have sworn Stevie was on the drums. I don't, I don't know where I got that from. I know that some people out there would have rather, you know, Paul and Steve maybe work on another Ebony and Ivory type song, but you know, Stevie wasn't there for the whole session or anything like that. He just kind of popped in for a couple of days. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, recording of what you're doing. That was on February 20. Oh no, March 1st, 1981. You know, it's a massive amount of time. And so for Paul and Stevie to do two pretty damn good songs, one of them being iconic, just shows the, uh, the, the, the work ethic of these two. You know, it's not like they wrote any songs outside or before the sessions. They both came in, they wrote one together, and then they jammed one together. I think it's a great output. And like, just having Stevie on this album does give it another level of uh, prestige to it. Like, it doesn't feel like Ringo, where it's like he brings on a bunch of other guests to kind of bring up the quality of the work. This is just Paul using his pull, I guess, just to do stuff that no one's ever heard before. You know, there's, there's nothing close to this at the time that I can really think of, like real two greats coming together to do something like this, you know. Something comparable might be like uh, Dancing in the Street or Under Pressure, something like that, where it's like real greats coming together. And yeah, this is a more insignificant than either of those two, but... You know, when you've when you got your critics hat on and you're trying to judge this for being just a big jam, the same riff over and over again, and it going nowhere, it's very hard to be that critical when the riff is that good, the jam is that funky, and the whole beat is just this hypnotic. <laughs> the whole thing's so satisfying. Like, I can't believe that nearly five minutes have gone already. I thought we'd only be talking for like two minutes. <laughs> it's how enjoyable this is. It's not one that I really like put on out of context. Like, I don't really go searching for what's that you're doing, but whenever I put on Tug of War, I'm always glad when this one comes on. You can't ever skip this one. It's too good. No, come on, you can't skip this one. I wouldn't want to meet a person who wanted to skip this song. Of course, I've also got a soft spot as well, because like Stevie Wonder is such an important part of my upbringing and my family. My parents are huge Stevie Wonder fans. Whenever we used to go on holiday together, uh, one of the main CDs that my dad would put on was um, Stevie Wonder Visions, I think it was called. No, Inner Vision was the album. It was like it was like a Stevie Wonder Best Of album that had like three or four discs. It was huge. I was introduced to so many Stevie Wonder songs that way, and like he's definitely a part of my fibre, you know, of my youth, just as much as the Beatles are. Probably listened to Stevie Wonder more in my youth than any Beatles track. Like my dad didn't play that in the car when driving through Spain or anything like that. Um, tracks like Part Time Lover and As and Do I Do. Are, you know, they're in my soul, man. And the fact that Paul and Stevie came together, it's just such a wonderful coming together of worlds. Like, it's two of my favourite artists together, doing their thing. They both make themselves stand out on the track. Like, it's Stevie's synths, it's Paul's arrangement, their voices are great. What more do you fucking want? You couldn't want anything more. And then, after being very serious, we now come to here today, the serious song of the album, and what is there left to say about this one? This this song really does speak for itself. I mean, just I mean, every time Paul talks about this one on stage, it's impossible not to well up a bit. You know, him saying that this is a song he had to write because back in the sixties, you didn't tell your friends you love them, and this is a conversation he would have liked to have had with John and. It's so affecting to this day. There's not a Beatle fan that doesn't get choked up by this one, and I don't blame them. It's especially sad seeing as how far we've come now. Like, I tell my, my male friends all the time that I love them. You know, whether it's on a phone conversation, whether I see them, if I haven't seen them in a long time, or if I saw, only saw them yesterday. I always make sure to do that, because I'd hate to be in this position that Paul's now to have to write this song. It's so heartbreaking. It's also just such a fucking great song as well. It is another one of those moments where, unfortunately, it does prove that when McCartney's upset or when his back's against the wall, it really does spark a certain inspiration and genius in him. Playing hard to get. What a great, what a great metaphor as well. What about the night we cried? 
just like the meta quality of the song as well as like a songwriter talking to another songwriter from beyond the grave through a song you know it's, it, it's just so clever and you know John would deserve no less like it makes total sense that Paul would put his everything into this song not just for himself but like for the world as well like this song helped a lot of other Beatles fans I imagine you get through their grief with the loss of John like Paul here is doing the world a service here helping the world try and process the death of John Lennon oh that line for you are in my song how brilliant is that and Paul has been playing this one live for years now it's never lost its edge it's still just as poignant and sad as it ever was and you know what he just sings it fucking excellently and there we are now, folks. We are at the end of side one of Tug of War. Let's just take a few seconds to process what we've just listened to as we flip over the disc from side A to side B, side one to side two. Yeah, I think most, if not everyone, who at least was a Paul McCartney fan who was listening to this for the first time in 1982 would be more than satisfied with what they've just heard. Paul is definitely back on fine form. He is writing complex melodies he's at writing meaningful deep lyrics which is something that we don't get all that much from paul at, at least that's what they say <laughs> i don't really believe that but these are definitely obviously more deeper and meaningful lyrics than we've had from paul for a while we've got great musical guests on this all the instrumental players are all at the top of their game here the the production is unquestionable his voice is as beautifully perfect as ever. What couldn't you like about this album so far? I mean, yeah, some of these songs aren't my favourite tracks ever, but come on, this is clear evidence that Paul is back. He's back with a vengeance, with full force, and all the hallmarks of the modern McCartney album are here in full display and full glory. You know, it's... It's, got, it's full of variety, it's got high production values, everything is, you know, genre-bending and genre-hopping. There are no two songs that sound the same. And Paul is just getting to finally indulge in all of his musical tastes and, you know, eccentricities. This is Paul all the way through. It's not as manic and singular as something like McCartney 2, which is a, a pure, unfiltered, unadulterated Paul vision but you know this is Paul at his best as a collaborator whether with George Martin, Stevie Wonder, Steve Gadd, Ringo, anyone you know this is Paul as an artist who is at his best when working with other great artists and I think everyone would be excited to turn over to side two which is what we're gonna do right now. And starting off side two, we have one of my all-time favourite Paul McCartney numbers, Ballroom Dancing. Now, not quite a guilty pleasure. This song is still one of those ones where I know I love it a whole lot, but I'm also aware that this isn't going to be everyone's cup of tea. Like, this is definitely the pure synthesis of what you get between a Paul McCartney tin pan alley tune and a rocker. And I know a lot of people would rather him either focus on one or the other. I find this to be a, a wonderfully executed curiosity in the Paul McCartney canon. This is him really pushing that kind of idiosyncratic, old-timey love uh, and you know pushing it into something a little more modern and exciting. Like, this, this is just a thrill ride from the moment you start hearing those keys just being banged on the piano. The vocal melody is instantly enjoyable and it just puts a big smile on your face. You know, there's something very welcoming and nostalgic about this song and yet it's still got that thrust and that heft that the rest of the album has. And like, you just can't deny how strong a piano melody this is, you know, it's just so electric and powerful, and you've got that the, the great thudding bass behind it, really punctuating those notes, and then that really, you know, twisting uh, kind of 
dirty, heavy electric guitar doing the same thing. It's just masterfully put together. And these backing vocals as well, perfectly done. This whole use of <laughs> uh, like either radio broadcast, audio or TV broadcast radio from an actual ballroom competition is so McCartney-esque and inspired. You know, it's got a, sh a shade of McCartney 2 in it there, you know, using samples, that kind of thing. I love that little bit of clarinet that we just heard there. These brass horns are just so McCartney and so George Martin. Again, it feels like Paul's been waiting to do a song like this, and the fact that George Martin has come along now just sends it to, I hate this term, but the next level. Never been the biggest fan of this breakdown moment here. It's 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 strange that he would slow things down here. I, I noticed that we can build back up to the exciting part of the song again, but it, this is a bit self-indulgent, i got to admit. Though, not quite as self-indulgent as it will be on the Give My Regards to Broad Street album, where he like, lengthens it by like, a, a further two minutes or something absolutely insane this is just Paul being Paul now this is him really really floating his boat here oh my god it sounds great though and then he comes back in with those keys and it's very Lady Madonna Martha my dear you know it's, it's just him doing his silly piano thing to the best of his ability um, you know this is a silly love song it's it's, it's a, a silly rocker and, and these are some of the best from his catalogue, you know, something like Junior's Farm or Girls' School. This is up there with them. And I can't believe he doesn't do this one live either. I think this one would have been a brilliant one to do during, say, the 89 or 93 tour. I mean, he did. You gave me the answer on Wings Over America. So why no ballroom dancing? I think everyone would be up and actually dancing to this one. This would get the crowd moving. Ah, oh. And his voice here is just so full of joy and happiness. You can literally hear the smile on his face as he sings this one. Oh, and the big build-up now. And then just... Bah, 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 in and out. Love it. Oh, so good. <laughs> and now we come to what might be the best song on the album. Or especially the most McCartney-esque. Here we go. Those tug of war electric guitars again. It reads this callback to the start of the album. And oh, the, the, the vocal melodies here are just insane. I love how it goes into this kind of more jolly, laissez faire tone here. So we've got this riff, and then we go into the next one. Honestly, folks, this is another one that I just want to listen to. It. I really adore this song. And then we go into the greatest shift ever into a better vocal melody. This is just top tier stuff. Again, we've got that rule Britannia McCartney quality here that only George Martin can really bring out in him. Extraordinary man. Oh, and the guitars there. I mean, we haven't even talked about like the song itself, like just the idea that Paul is singing about all of these currencies and like the world getting worse. It's more poignant today than it was when it was written, really. You know, the, the uh, economies of the world are not doing very well at the moment, and to hear Paul talk about it in such a kind of upbeat way is wonderful dissonance. This bit, oh, love. The harmonies here are ace again. And Paul's going to go into some of his best vocals on the entire album here. Like, you know, we always talk about Uncle Albert as being those one of the songs that goes all over the place and is built out of these disparate parts masterfully and it is but this is just the, like the 80s version of that like 10 plus years on which Paul is still doing it and it's still some of the best stuff that he does and then we go back to the original one the pound is sinking bound 
Oh, just so powerful. It really does match the epic scope of the intro song. Oh. Folks, this song is so fucking good. Oh my god. And then from a quite serious song into another quite serious song now, which is many of you out there's favourite track. Another one that would appear on the Broad Street soundtrack as well. And this is another song that took me a while to really get. It was up there with like Take It Away with songs that I really wasn't all that plussed about. But whereas with Take It Away, I've only grown to like not despise it uh, and just find it okay. This is one of those ones where I was like, oh, okay, I really just didn't get it at first. And this is unquestionably top tier McCartney. I really feel like this is so resonant with people because it has some very like band on the run esque lyrics, like like you know the themes of being out on the sea and freedom and wanting to go wherever you want. That 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 is so band on the run. You know what I mean? McCartney singing about freedom is always evocative, and this is him doing it to the best of his ability. It's also hard not to uh, think of. London Town, not only because that was recorded on a boat, but we also have Morse Moose and the Grey Goose there, so we've got another boat song from McCartney here. He's, he's got a whole fleet by this point. This is Paul doing that thing where he's not trying to be particularly complicated or rewrite the book, he's just doing a straight-up ballad incredibly well. Oh, and those harmonies on the Wanderlust there. And then we get George Martin again. This is another one of those songs that is just, it wouldn't have sounded the same without George here to really just boost it and accentuate it in those key points. Like, the majesty of this song now is just totally sold. You are along for the ride. Well, the boat ride, anyway. Oh, where did I? Another nice little melody shift here. The, like, and, the, and, the, and the flutes in the background. Oh, it's so epic. And Paul's voice here. The notes he hits. Oh, that classic McCartney voice. And then the, the, the vocal track. Yes, right back into it. That's so satisfying. The guitar in this one's really, really subtly well done as, as well. Like, that, that, that constant strumming just gives it that that like almost campfire feel again from like Band on the Run it's weird though that with, with a song like this it's both a McCartney piano ballad and a McCartney acoustic ballad as well you, you can really get those two together and they're, and they're both brought together masterfully by that orchestration bum, 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 bum. I mean, I, I know that you've got Here Today on the first side of this album, but for me, this second side is just stuffed to the gills with Ace McCartney content. Oh, and the double track vocals here with the, with the two melodies playing off each other. This is just Paul as a master of the studio and the songwriting format here. Oh my god. And we have this nice soft note at the end here. And after that majestic number, we do have to sit through what is quite clearly, this is the low point of the album, this is Get It, the uh, duet with Carl Perkins. And yeah, I've already mentioned self-indulgence a lot on this album now. And this is literally just Paul writing a song so he can sing with Carl Perkins. And there's nothing wrong with that inherently. Like, We've got two duets with Stevie Wonder on, on here. But this isn't like Paul doing modern music or pushing his songwriting talents to to any nth degree. This this is just Paul on autopilot doing a silly little song that he knows that Carl Perkins would enjoy and want to sing on. And 
it, it seems to be totally in service of Paul rather than the album itself. You know, it's very much like um, Name and Address on London Town, where it just kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. It doesn't really match anything else going on. The only thing that I really like here is that we, we, we do get Paul doing his little vocalizations. Like, I'm always a sucker for that. But the song is just so simple and trite and boring and obvious. You know, it's just a real skippable track. Like, if there's a, a, a track on this album that I'd skip, it would be Get It. And, you know, we always talk about songs we drop to put other bonus tracks on. And the fact that we have this rather than, say, Rain Clouds or I'll Give You a Ring is pretty unforgivable to me. Um, I was also really disappointed that um, when I got the 12-inch of Take It Away, rather than adding another bonus track or anything like that, we just got this. I'm like, oh, come on. I've got this to get it again on another format now. This is just poor on autopilot writing generic 50s, early 60s rock and roll with, with a bit of country flair. And yet, whilst it does fit into the McCartney classic album mode in his solo work, now where it's like, oh, we just have an extra you know, genre thrown in there, it, it's still a bit too incongruous with everything else. Although, the laughter, the, the, the laughter from Carl Perkins there is quite enjoyable. It's got some within you, without you vibes there. And it, it is cool how it goes into the Be What You See link that we have here. Um, this is one of my all-time favourite McCartney link tracks. It, it's like, I just love how he clearly had this idea for a little sound that he was interested in doing for a brief moment at one point. He just liked this particular sound. He may have been messing around with some tech on the day. And he just made this little thing out of it. I think it's really quite adorable and cute. And right away, we go straight into Dress Me Up As A Robber, another of the kind of unsung heroes of this album. Just, you know, while, you know, just before the big close of this, we we, we get a nice proper little rocker from Paul here. But it's not just a rocker, it's, again, it's got this odd flamenco Mediterranean Spanish flair to it, which is just so interesting. Maybe it all stems from, like, Good Night Tonight with like Lawrence Juba adding that bit of extra um, world guitar to the sound. And obviously, if this was a Wings album, Lawrence would have been all over this track. Oh, it just would have been, wouldn't it? There's so much going on in this track. Like, we've got that great fuzzy, dirgy bass going, going across. You've got this beautiful acoustic playing now, as well as the electric as well. They're both doing this beautiful interplay together. Again, very Good Night to Die-esque. You know, this is Paul really pushing the boundaries of what his sound can be. And I, I, I just love how experimental this album is without being obviously so. You know, this is still Paul doing pop and rock, but, you know, without going so far as being mad Professor Paul, he's still creating this, this this energy and variance on the album where you really don't know what song's coming up next and that's a really exciting feeling. We get some great 80s synth in here now. I love this little breakdown. I'm going to kick right back into it any second now. Maybe now. Maybe now. <laughs> I love his vocals here. Like I'm always a fan of a, a poor falsetto and it's nice and sparing on this track because then we're going to quite a powerful little subtle vocal here. The lyrics in this one have always been quite enigmatic as well. It's very different from the regular McCartney affair, but it's still a straight up McCartney love song, you know. When he could dress me as a robber, but I won't be in disguise. Only love is a robber and he lives within your eyes. So like I like I like the I the idea that maybe like love can rob you maybe of like your faculties or your sense or something like that and basically saying you know you can just be as a robber because you've stolen my love and it's a nice variation on the generic McCartney love. appreciate that 
And with that drum beat, we are now onto the final song of Tug of War. The lovable, the hateable, it's Ebony and Ivory. Yes, we all know that this is a song that divides audiences the world over, whether they are diehard McCartney fans or casuals. But let's not forget, this went straight to number one in 1982 and was played on MTV constantly. It was a massive cultural landmark. <laughs> it was ranked number 69 on the Billboard list of Hot 100 Songs of All Time and 59 on Billboard's Greatest Songs of All Time. You know, this, this, this isn't an insignificant little number. And, you know, you know just because it's cloying and saccharine and, you know, soppy, it's, it's still an incredibly well-intentioned track. Like, I don't know, only the most cynical and least charitable McCartney fans can hate on this song. I mean, I might, you know, rip on it a little bit for comedic effect, but I love Ebony and Ivory, like, unashamedly so. It is the best kind of McCartney silly. It's like earnestly silly. Uh, oh, this solo here. You know, this is just Paul and Stevie writing a song together about racial harmony. What else were you expecting them to come out with? Were you expecting like a really hard hitting, you know, Rage Against the Machine style song? or like, you know, <laughs> NWA or something. No, of, 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 of course not. This is gonna be the most upbeat, shamelessly optimistic version of a racial harmony song there is. Like, you know, Paul's always gonna be looking this way and we were never gonna get something dour and depressing. This is meant to be uplifting, meant to be looking forward. And it's just a, a great example of these two artists coming together and doing something for, for the greater good. You know, it's it's nice to have a song with a meaning behind it rather than just a song for a song's sake. You know, it, it is the exact opposite of what's that you're doing? This is careful and thought out and purposeful. Like, ah, oh, their voices together here are just so perfect for each other. Sad by Of course, the metaphor of uh, keys being side by side on the piano doesn't exactly work because black keys and white keys are actually above and below each other but hey we can look past that also I've got to say I do prefer this version than, than the solo McCartney version like th this is just way more impactful and way more significant and who doesn't want more Stevie on this album he was hot shit at the time and he still is great to the war uh, harmonies here Oh, and Stevie vamping there. Oh, it's so perfect. What does Stevie plays this solo at all? I'd be interested to find that out, actually. <laughs> uh, this is Paul at his simplistic best. He's not trying to rewrite the wheel. He's just doing something bloody good. And with that unbelievably uplifting end, with the big grins on our face, we finish Paul McCartney's 1982 album, Tug of War. We've ended side two. How would people have felt back in the day? Would they all be universally saying that this is the return to form that they all wanted? Is this the greatest thing Paul has put out since maybe Venus and Mars? It may very well be. I know a lot of people were not that big on McCartney 2 when it came out. That kind of came up in the fandom later on. So at the moment, this is like the best of solo Paul McCartney in many people's minds. Um, you know, is this better than Ram in the eyes of the people in 1982? I hope not, but it probably is, you know. After all of the uncertainty with the breakup of Wings and Paul going solo and the death of Lennon, this is an incredible artistic statement from McCartney, like he really did come out swinging here with all the bells and whistles. You know, if like McCartney 2 is like McCartney 1, it's Paul being a little simple and stripped back. This is kind of like the Ram of the 80s where this is him going, no, no, don't worry, I've still got all that Abbey Road chutzpah 
to you know really show everyone else how it's done and he just does it effortlessly on this album i do know why this is so beloved within the fandom there are a couple of spotty parts here and there uh, it's definitely uh, backloaded in terms of the songs that i really vibe with but yeah this is completely undeniable as one of his greatest works can i still sit here and say that i prefer pipes of peace Yes, I can. I still think this is slightly overrated. I don't think this is in like the top five McCartney albums, but it's definitely on the upper end of you know those those middling ones. It's definitely okay. It's a top ten. It's not a top five. I think that's where I'm going to end it there before I dig myself a hole that I cannot dig myself out from. So yeah, folks, thank you so much for joining me today on Poor or Nothing. Thank you for indulging me with this indulgent Paul album. Of course, this, this is something I'm doing as a little buffer to keep your beaks wet whilst I work on the massive three-part Driving Rain series. I'm, I'm so looking forward to finally being able to do that. But it, it really was fun to revisit Tug of War. I hope you've had fun here as well. I certainly have. This has been another one of these episodes where I've done it completely without a script. Let me know if you could tell at all, because if so, I will go back to at least writing some notes for these songs. But I've, I've really enjoyed this. Just coming up with all these thoughts off the dome. It's a nice change of pace for me. It's nice to have to write a 10-page script for once. Uh, but yeah. This has been great. Thank you so much for joining in, folks. I hope you've had a good time. Peace and love, peace and love. No more autographs. Harry, Harry, Krishna. Play a second one. Look a little lonely Maybe I can reach you Tell me where to reach you And I'll give you rain I take you to the pictures I miss a second feature Lord, I can't believe my eyes I must be dreaming Give me your number Little hungry, maybe I could take ya. Tell me when to wake ya, and I'll give you rain. I take you to the restaurant, we're looking at the menu. Lord, I can't believe my eyes, I must be dreaming. Give me your number. Tell me where to reach you, and I'll give you rain. I take you to the pictures, miss a second feature. Lord, I can't believe my eyes, I must be dreaming. Give me your number. Sleepy, 
Sir.